0: This week on the Drag Zine Podcast, we're joined by NHI Racing legend Larry Dixon to hear about how he got into the sport of drag racing, what it's like to drive a two-seated top-fuel dragster, and a whole lot more. So, pull those belts tight. Get ready to put into the beams. The Drag Zine Podcast starts now. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Drag Zine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week on the show, I'm joined by the legend Larry Dixon, and get to have a conversation with him about just a lot of different things within drag racing. Um, what it was like to work for and drive for Dom Perdome. You know, the technology behind these cars now, and you know how he decided to come up with a two-seater, top fuel dragster. Interesting story there. So, uh, you know, without further ado, let's get this drag racing party started. All right, my guest this week on the Dragzine podcast is probably one of the best top fuel pilots to ever belt into a car, Larry Dixon. What's going on, Larry?
1: Doing okay. Doing good. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: No problem, man. No problem at all. Always fun to get, you know, some of the, the big names on here and have a little bit of fun and, you know, just talk all things drag racing and get your take on a lot of different things.
1: And there's a few things going on in life right now. Um,
0: <laughs> it, it's, it's like we're in this weird, bizarro world comic book right now. <laughs> just like anytime you can't think it gets going to get any weirder. It does.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be one that we will talk about hopefully in the past for the rest of our lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And especially here in the racing world, because it seems like, you know, from my cat bird seat with everything that I kind of see in the media world, it's been interesting to see how we went from full stop to what we're going to do, and then people started just opening things up and going, and it just kind of shows the nature of drag racers, where we're like, you know what, we want to race, we're going to find a way to race, and it just it kind of started happening in a hurry.
1: Well, it, I mean, it's tough. I, I you know, I had this discussion multiple times, maybe not on your show, but um, yeah, I, I think when everything happened, everybody like stopped, and you know, like you, you could, hey, hold your breath for as long as you can but everybody doesn't own their house outright and own their business outright. And people have to people got to work for a living. And they got to earn a paycheck and and like you, you got to keep going. And it's just, you know, so people are kind of diving back into the game and trying to be responsible on how you, uh, you know, make contact with other people. But yeah, eventually the show has got to go on.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's totally crazy. You know, when I, w- I went to an event actually, you know, out here at National Trail not too long ago after they first opened up. And it was weird because it was like being in a normal race, but it wasn't like being in a normal race with some of the things they had in place. And you know what? There wasn't a single person that was there actually complaining. They were just happy to be racing, period.
1: Yeah. Going to the to the uh, NHRA National event over the weekend uh, at IRP, a uh, little weird because the, the whole uh, west side of the uh, pit area was completely closed off, literally with barriers, grandstands shut off, all of that. And then so everybody's on the east side of the track and it's not quite full. There's very, very little midway uh, for obvious reasons. And, and it's just, it was kind of like an overblown test session that, from a participant standpoint. Just a little weird little weird um you know and hopefully it's not our new norm it's just for now and then uh you know hopefully we'll get that going and everybody can uh you know <laughs> talk about 2020 in the rearview mirror
0: yeah yeah it's definitely like you know the running joke is what's on you know your your bingo card for this month and i didn't have plague squirrels on mine and apparently that's a thing now so you know now we got squirrels <laughs> with the bubonic plague so i'm like all right whatever its it isn't it yeah. gonna get any weirder probably but you just got to roll with it
1: is there any way that they can like get into a celebrity death match with the killer hornets or something maybe
0: oh i 110 you know that there would be people in vegas putting odds on that hands down Pe- <laughs> people will bet on anything
1: <laughs> nice but that nice.
0: you know that's just how it goes and you know i watched as much you know of the race i could this past weekend And it it was definitely you could tell that there was like racers that just wanted to do their normal thing. And they were struggling to, you know, they didn't know what to do with their hands with the mask on. You know, they're just they struggle with that, which I think is a good thing because it shows just how the big show racers really want to be able to interact with people and their fans. And that's like a key part of what you guys do.
1: Yeah, well, that, that's a definite Ricky Bobby moment, right? What do I do with my hands?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you got a muzzle on. They, they didn't like it.
1: Yeah. No, it, I mean, it's tough. And, and, and again, I, I think that it's just kind of the norm for now. Because, uh, I mean, it, it's a little weird going to a big national event and, and then not having – um, you, know, you know, the the big screen and, and, and some of the play-by-play, it just, again, just uh, some of the interaction that you would normally see, you know, fans being able to go to an event, but um, not, not just go up and get driver autographs like you could at a normal NHRA weekend, so a um, little tougher, but uh, some's better than none, I guess, at this point.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I, you know, I, I really like to bring in the the nitro racers and ask them, you know, how they got into the game of nitro racing because that's typically not something that's on the checklist that your high school guidance counselor kind of hands to you when you're uh, when you're looking for careers, right?
1: You mean you mean your high school did when they had career day? Didn't have top fuel driver booth set up.
0: No, no, no. it was uh be an army yeah. guy, be a farmer, be a teacher.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah my, mine was probably along the same lines. But uh, no, I, in my case, uh, my dad, uh, my dad raced top fuel cars in the 60s and 70s. Uh, he pretty much, you know, right out of high school, um, you know, once he got his license, started going to the racetrack. And, and that's where he spent you know, better half of his life. And so ever since I was born, I just knew about going to the, going to the races. Grew up in Southern California, so there was a lot of racetracks at that time uh, to go to. Um, and I, I don't, you know, n- not to sound corny, but, like, when I was a kid, I wanted to grow up and be like my dad, and he drove top fuel cars. So um, that, that's, that was kind of it. I had no idea how I would go about doing it. Um, so it just kind of snowballed from, I started out on a pit crew and moved around a little bit and then ended up on Don Prudhomme's team and did that for quite a few years and got to drive on the side and he let me test in his car the last season that he drove and, and, uh, test went good and, um, uh, he wanted to keep racing and, and I was fortunate enough to, um, you know, drive his race car for a number of years. So uh, that's kind of the, the quick 60-second story of, of how I got in.
0: You see, and again, I think that that's one of the biggest, I guess, parallels I see in all forms of racing when I talk to people for interviews, pro level. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, a bracket racer I'm doing a story on or a nitro racer. Is it's family. It's like our family gets us into this in almost like a mafioso mm-hmm. level and we just, you either want to live the life or you don't. That's it.
1: Yeah, it, probably no, you know, you're, you're you're spot on. I mean, no different than an Earnhardt or an Unser or something, an Andretti for that matter. Um, you just, that's, I, I tell people I'm a product of my environment. Like we, ever since I was a little kid, we'd go to the racetrack and that looked like a lot of fun and you know who'd want to not do that for a living? So I just uh, tried to figure it out. Uh, you know, every person that you talk talk to that that drives a fuel car, they got a different story on how they got there. You know, and that just happens to be mine. Um, it just uh, you know, you I I think if you have the passion, the drive, the desire, to drive to to want to be out there, you'll you'll figure it out. You'll work whatever angle you can to to be able to. Uh, you know,
0: put a helmet on and, and the gloves on. Oh, yeah, totally. That's definitely, I think, what, especially fuel racing is that when, once you get that in your blood and you want to do it, you're going to find a way to, to make it happen. And you see a lot of who I think some of the best racers come from that that mold of being, doing the time on the crew, and even the drivers that understand how a car works inside and out. Do you think that really kind of helped you be a better driver when your time came?
1: Um, It helped me. I I can tell you that. I know that and um, I know that there's some people that drive that have no clue and don't really care to. And it really hasn't affected them. I mean, I I think a a great example would be Shirley Muldowney. I mean, she, you know, she never worked on the car. She never did any of that stuff. And, you know, and she's a three time NHRA champion. So um, I don't know that it's necessary to have that skill set. Um, but for me, it just, it made me feel really comfortable, you know, when you sat in the car that you knew everything that was going on and you're working on the car and it just, it just, for, for me, it was, it was really calming. So, and, and even now, like, I mean, when, when, you know, you'll listen to the engine as it's running and stuff and, you know, if you've got a little bit of game, but at least in my case, it just uh, helps you filter what you should worry about and what you shouldn't worry about.
0: Do you think that made your crew chief's job easier, that you'd be able to kind of relay better information to him about what the car was doing when it was doing it?
1: Um, I would say maybe, you know, 30 years ago for sure. But, but now with the advent of, you know, all the electronics and the data recorder recorders, I mean, you know the, the, you know, the race pack data recorder, I mean, it takes 1,000 samples per second, and you're only on the track for four seconds. So that that's a lot of information. And, uh, you know, that there's things that I could definitely relay, relay to you about the run, but I don't have a 1000 samples per second in my data data recorder in my melon. So it's uh, the the computer, the computer age definitely uh, helped ramp up uh, the performance of the cars, you know, across the board.
0: Oh, yeah. And that's one thing that always kind of, you know, partially is what fascinates me about drag racing is the way that technology kind of works within the sport, that it's very technology driven because people always want to beat the next guy and go faster. What's it been like kind of you've gotten to see kind of like that that really big ramp up of, you know, from, you know, very prehistoric computers to, like you said, now a race pack can tell you almost everything on a run. How is that, you know? How do you think that's really changed the game?
1: Uh, for for sure, I and I think that you'd see like the you know the the crew chiefs that were around before and after the you know the data recorders come on. Uh, when I when I started out there, the race pack data, I mean, it would spit paper out. It, it you didn't have anything on a screen. It, it was on paper like an old fax machine. Uh, is, and you would have to decipher, and, and you'd put it up on the light, and you'd overlap it to, to, against other runs, and, you know, and, and, and still to this day, it doesn't tell you what to do. It just records the information, and then you got to be smart enough to, you know, know what to do with that information. But, but it, it's, it definitely made a difference, uh, you know, as soon as it went on there, uh, you know, a, a guy like Dale Armstrong, which helped develop the Race Pack computer, you know, he sees that the clutch, you know, is never locked up. It's like, well, we got to come up with something to lock up the clutch. So then they start locking up the clutch and it pulls the engine down. Well, then it doesn't have enough fuel pump on it. So then they start putting more pump on it, you know, and then enough pump that you don't have enough ignition. And Well, then it's getting two mags and, and it just kind of just, it kind of, you know, spiraled from there. And And then, you know, you have the sanctioning bodies to try to they, they like their performance, but then, you know, they don't want it to get too far ahead to where your formula one either. So it's, um, I, you know, I think it's a challenge for every, and then obviously budgets too, um, you know, the cost of doing all the development, I mean, all that stuff just ramped up so quick and so fast. I think over the, you know, probably the last 25, 30 years, it's, you know, gosh, it's probably four or five times the, the amount of money uh, budget wise, uh, to, to run your car on an NHRA season than it, you know, than what it might've cost 30 years ago. It just, um, the amount of employees and labor and just the parts and equipment and the travel, it just, uh, um, it definitely took off, but, um, it, it's, it's made really fine careers for a lot of people too. And, you know, at one time it was just kind of a weekend hobby thing. and, And, you know, Chosen few like you'd have a Garlitz or a Shirley or Don Perdome be able to do it for a living, and everybody else kind of did it, you know, as a weekend warrior. Um, But then, you know, as sponsorship comes and corporate dollars, and you you know, I got to spend my whole life out of the racetrack, so I feel really blessed from that standpoint.
0: A lot of really awesome points and information in there, and I think the one that sticks out to me is the way that you talked about the progression that the data gave that right there i think tells such a huge story about what goes you know it's these vehicles just aren't all about the blunt force trauma or horsepower there's a lot that's gone into making them function the way they do
1: oh uh, definitely And, and the thing that i do like about uh the the data recorders when you actually put it up on the screen like that and and you're, you're talking about four seconds, but you—it's a thousand samples per second. So you have four thousand samples that you're looking at on a screen, and you're and you're just and you're breaking down. You know, not just one second at a time. I mean, a tenth of a second at a time, and and you're just trying to add all the all that time up that you're actually on the track and make your car go quicker. You know, and the quicker and faster you make it go, the less samples you're getting because you're on the track less time. So it's a uh, Um, it's uh, definitely consumed and if you can't tell, I'm still pretty passionate about it. So it's, uh, it's been, been fun for gosh, my whole life.
0: Oh yeah. Again, yeah. That's that passion about it. And working in the industry, a lot of people will tell me, my friends will be like, man, you've got the greatest job on earth. I said, well, that's the thing is it's still a job. Like, I love what I do. You love what you do, but it's still, if you want to be at the top of your game, it's a lot of work whether it's driving or tuning a car or you know doing the coverage you got to be willing to do what it takes to really understand it make it work
1: oh because you're competing at whatever level i mean with with you uh you know just even on on the on the, the press side of things i mean there's there's other people that are trying to do their you know the same job as you and better so it's like it you know, the competition's what breeds excellence and, and no different than on the, on the racetrack. You, you, you pair a couple of cars up, you know, one's going to be better than the other. And, and uh, that, that is the, the competition is definitely what uh, I've loved all those years.
0: You know, I, I try one of the things when people ask me, what's drag racing? Like I said, imagine taking a giant bowl of type A personalities dumping them into high horsepower machines and telling them now each time you race only one of you gets to go on and that pretty much turns it into an absolute I'm going to do whatever it takes whether it's time money or my sanity to beat everybody end of discussion
1: oh uh, absolutely and, and for me to to, to uh, along those lines uh for drag racing the thing that I loved about drag racing over you know other types of motorsports where you throw you know 20 car you know NASCAR 36 cars and and IndyCar 33 cars you, you can get you can get caught up in a bad pit stop or lap traffic or something like that and you can have the best car on that day and be driving the best and and you know you can have somebody else take you out of the event in our sport if you're if you're doing your job on the starting line and you got the right setup in the car, you'll win every single time. And if you don't, it's on you. It's not on the it's not on the competition. You didn't get it done. So that for me that it's 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 up to you and uh, you know to keep your day going and uh, and, and go. So I, I I really I really enjoyed that part of it as well.
0: Speaking of the competition thing, you know, growing up when I was watching drag racing, I always tell people it was the glory days of when John Force was constantly on fire and terrifying Steve Evans on national TV. And you know, you had all these big rivalries. Well, one of them was the Beer Wars. And I think that's kind of lost these days on these these I say these kids, they don't get to see that you know that that kind of rivalry at at the professional level that sub rivalry what was that like for you to be a part of that like in the car
1: it when you're winning it's great and and when you're losing it's misery because uh, you know those those two companies ironically i mean we're talking Budweiser and Miller and um and now they're owned by the same company so it's a little weird like you're married to your cousin now or something yeah. you know it's just but, but it was really cutthroat. I mean, I can, I can remember going to events and, uh, and seeing, you know, Budweiser guys on the drive into the track, cutting down the Miller banners. I mean, that's, that, that's, and, and, uh, and the Budweiser guys telling you, yeah, my distributor will pay me $5 a banner, everyone that I bring back. So it's like, there's a bounty on them. Well, that same type of, pressure gets put on the racetrack nobody wants to call their boss you know the the two things they would ask you you know i drove for miller beer for 12 years you know they'd want to know uh who won the event and how did the bud car do like that that's pretty much what it came down to so you never wanted to be yeah i got beat by kenny or brandon or whatever but but at the same time i mean it just uh uh, when you beat them, and they were such a great team for a long period of time, you know, with Dale Armstrong and and uh, Tim Richards and Lee Beard as their crew chiefs, um, when you beat them, it, it you you're probably the best car on the on the block at that at that given moment so it uh um it definitely gave you bragging rights and and made you feel good when you when you did well it i can tell you as good a driver as kenny was uh if i didn't get my act together you you were gonna get beat so it was like he forced me to be a better driver and i appreciated him for it because it's just you know you don't you don't want to get smoked off so better get your act together if you don't want to get smoked off. And so um, I give Kenny a lot of credit for me being able to do some of the things that I got to do uh, during my years uh, racing uh, for Miller Brewing.
0: See, yeah, yeah, that, that that again, I think that's honestly what the sport currently lacks. And I've been beating that drum for a while, is there are no legit blood feuds anymore. It's too corporate.
1: Um, it's, well, it's, it's just tough. I mean, the amount of money – that it takes to run a nitro team for 24 events, um, you know, it's, it's approaching $3 million. And so then you go to XYZ Corporation and you, hey, you want to go drag racing? Well, how much does it cost? And it's like, uh, you give them a number and then they say, well, what's the attendance? And you give them those numbers. And then they say, what is the TV numbers? And, and it's like, well, the, the, the value, the r- actual hard return on investment is a set number and it doesn't match up with the cost. So you see less companies doing it. So that's why you have a Budweiser that's not out there, the Miller that's not out there. And so um, you're really, you're really uh, dependent on the sanctioning body um, to and I'm not beating them up because everybody's in the same boat, you see NASCAR struggles with that, and IndyCar struggles, you know, with the, with with those type of numbers for their business model. Um, but you, you need you need the competition department and the marketing department working together. To it's like, hey, you know, the value of our sport is this much. We need to have a rule package in place that only costs this much. And it's like we, if you could get all those numbers in place. Then you probably have more of that Budweiser Miller. They'd still be out there racing, you know. But but they're not. And it's and you see the same thing in NASCAR and IndyCar. They're you know they're they're not out there every week in NASCAR and they're not out there every week in IndyCar. So it's 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 not just drag racing. It's just motorsports in general. You you find, but other ways to be able to conduct their business um, and get that that return on investment. It's it's. That's the difference from having a deal and not having a deal.
0: Yeah, and I think that definitely plays into how racers have to act now versus what they want to act and what they want to say is because they have to stay corporately viable because they can't afford to lose that money. Whereas you got someone like the Torrance family that they they sponsor their own deal and, you know, they don't care. They're gonna say and do what they want. And it gives them kind of that outlaw feel, whereas if you've got, you know, a big money sponsor, you have to be G golly polished and you can't you know drop f-bombs on TV or get into fist fights at the top end
1: no for, for, for sure I mean it's it's not it's not 1972 anymore and and if you go back to where when you did have fist fights at the drag strip they probably didn't have corporate sponsors then either you know so, so it's it's just uh, it, it's it's a different different world. I, I think yeah, it's just makes it, makes it really tough and you, you just got to find uh, like, no different than wanting to drive one of those cars. You, you, you figure out a way to do it. I mean, that's where you, you see racing teams talk about the whole B2B or business to business or, or business to consumer um, being able to bring extra value um, to, to have those corporations involved with your team. to to be able to ultimately get out there and race your car, because that's what you really want to do.
0: You know, kind of going off of that, you got to work, you know, with Don Perdome with probably one of the the earliest examples and adapters and proven models of being able to make that whole marketing deal work, you know, like what do you do with Hot Wheels and Mattel? You know, what was it like working for Don for all those years?
1: Um, He was very intense. Uh, I mean, he's, you know, you talk type A personalities, he's, you know, capital A, you know, bold letters, uh, definitely wants to uh, win. Uh, The thing that I loved about working for him, and that's, you know, whether I was driving or crewing on him, uh, when you rolled into an event, you were prepared, like there was no testing during qualifying. It's like, if you had some part that you wanted to bring in or some setup that you weren't sure of, you went and tested before you showed up at the event because he wanted to win that event. And it was just, uh, I I loved that, you know, and and, uh, was really fortunate to work there, you know, and and be a part of the, you know, the beer wars and, and having that beer money in the sport. And and it had you know the uh, skull you know skull banded U.S. tobacco and it just um, it, it was it was it was awesome you know but but then you know as companies got swallowed up you know M- Miller got sold off to South African breweries and then um, Skoll got sold off to uh, Philip Morris which is the parent company Zaltria. um, and then they just kind of go away and and so. And then the same thing with Perdome. If you if you don't have that big sponsor, you ain't out there racing. So I mean, it's just and so you don't have a Bernstein and a Perdome, and you know Alan Johnson doesn't have his own car, and and it just uh, it, it makes it, it makes it tough, it makes it really tough. So again, you just got to um, if, if you're wanting to do it, you just got to figure another way of, of building your business model to make it happen.
0: You know, do you have any f- funny? you know snake stories you can tell us about his you know intensity competition level that you know kind of let us behind the curtain a little bit about you know maybe something he's done or said or you know you saw off the track
1: oh gosh um ones that we can actually say
0: yeah yeah exactly ones you can actually say
1: that's challenging (laughs) (laughs) well i'll tell you what there's one time we were at dallas and uh um he was driving the car it was the last year uh, of him driving top fuel, and uh, and this was the fr- first session Friday. We didn't get down the track. Second session, go up there and it leaves the starting line and it starts carrying the wheels and it's it's carrying it pretty high. Not I, I, again. That's judgment. Joe. Long story short, he shuts off, and uh, so you know we bring the car back to the pits. Everybody's pretty dejected about it. The forecast for Saturday is tragic. I mean, they're calling for 100% rain. So everybody's kind of like, kind of down, like, you know, like we might not qualify, you know, not only, you know, for the race win, but we're in the points at at that point as well, too. So everybody's really quiet, you know, back of the pit. Um, He goes up in the lounge, changes, comes walking on down, and everyone's, you know, Crew chief Western time tells us, "Hey, just you know, park the car. We'll leak it. It's literally okay." So we're just sitting there, and it's quiet. And he's looking around, and everybody, nobody's saying nothing. And then he comes over to me, and me, you know, and he says, "Uh, you know, the, you know, it was, it was carrying the wheels." And and I'm like, "Yeah." And he goes, "It was pretty high." I'm like, "Yeah." And he goes. Uh, what would you have done? And, and me, like, I, I'm always honest, when, you know, whether you like it or not. And, you know, sometimes my honesty would get me in trouble. And this was going to be one of those times. So he asked me, so what would you have done? And I said, I probably would have stayed with it. <laughs> Total wrong thing to say and and I'm immediately you know like if his voice was at a dead idol and now his voice is gonna go up on the chip <laughs> so he goes let me tell you something he goes that isn't no slot car like you've driven down in Florida meaning Frank Holly's alcohol drag racing school he goes that's a real race car it can hurt you and he's like He's literally, he's lighting me up. And everybody's like looking at me like, what are you, a jackass? Why would you say that? And I'm like, and, and at the same time, I'm like, I am a jackass. Why didn't any of you guys stop me? You know, like, <laughs> so, I mean, it, it was, but that was his intensity. And, it, and it, I mean, as it turned out, the race got postponed following weekend, you know, get two more runs, uh, qualified, ended up winning the event. And that ended up being his last win of his career. But that was, you know, that I have hundreds of those stories. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know- and 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 not all of them are me being a knucklehead, you know, saying the wrong thing at the wrong wrong time. But but uh, that's that's how he was. That's who he was.
0: And you know, like I told you before the call, my my grandfather was actually he taught Bobby Brant one of his crew chiefs in, in school. And, you know, we got to whenever he was snake was in town, we get to go in the pit, you know, grandpa would say hi to Bobby and there was definitely there was snake when things were going right. And then there was snake when things were going wrong. And there was uh, definitely a marked difference between those two.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah polar opposites. <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, but i I tell you what, like, if it, it, it wasn't that, I, I worked there for 20 years, so I, I'm definitely not complaining. It's just, uh, um, but that intensity is why he was the guy he was, you know, and, and you know, you could say the same thing about Bob Litton or Shirley Muldowney or Don Garlitz, you know, that intensity, you know, if you don't have that intensity, um, you're, you're not going to, you ain't going to make it, or you're certainly not going to be a, a winner all the time
0: like like those guys were no not at all what's crazy is you know you'll see don on the uh on on the broadcast and they'll ask him out of pomona you know what have you been doing and he's like oh, i've been out off-road racing it's like dude you're you're still a gangster you're out there off-roading in a side-by-side in the desert your age when most people are like looking to retire to boga Raton, florida
1: oh uh, yeah it you know the competition part i mean it's something about engines i, I it, you know if, if it makes noise and you're a you're a, a gearhead you're you're going to have interest in it and so it's just uh and and fortunately with with motorsports where you don't have to actually run the course physically yourself you know i mean you got you got guys like chris caramacini's which you know nobody knows how old he is but he's at least 90 yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's out there doing it. So uh, you know as long as and John Force, you know, still winning races and he's in his 70s. So y- you you can do it for a long period of time as long as you got uh, you know a, a really good hot rod underneath you.
0: The Greek holy cow. Like wow. I see him at the track when I when I go to the big show events and it's like it's like bad grandpa driving a nitro car. You know, he's just there grinding it out doing his thing.
1: Yeah. And, and, and he can still get it done. And, and the, the great thing about the sport on any given Sunday, you know, if, if you, uh, if you slip up, you can have a guy like that, you know, you know, knock you on your knees. So that's cool. I think it's great. You, you, you know, why, why, why retire? You know, if you're enjoying what you're doing, keep doing it. So, you know, more more power to him. I'm oh. sure more people in the world like him.
0: Oh yeah, that's definitely yeah, you know the that that's one cool thing you'll see about drag racing is that that's one thing I will never when I'm racing myself or I'm at the track, never sleep on the old guys because there's something to be said about an old guy in a young guy's game.
1: Oh, yeah. And you don't and and it actually'll make you like when I'd have to race the Greek, you're like, I don't wanna be the guy. Like, you know and you know if both cars roll up in stage, I mean, nobody has better than a 50% chance of winning. So, uh, you better have your act together and because he'll keep you honest and he'll get his car down the track. You don't want to mess up. So.
0: And, you know, going off of that, when you were a rookie, you had, you know, you had a pretty, uh, memorable and first big win, didn't you?
1: Yeah, great, great rookie year. Um, no, no complaints. Uh, you would see different people that race in the sport and they race for a while. And, um, you know, take them a really long time to win and you're you're hoping you're not going to be one of those guys. And, um, you know, but I got into a great car, you know, basically the same car that, that Perdomo drove, uh, finished, he finished second in the points to Scott Coletta. And I come back and it's like, if I don't do anything dumb, you know, like we, we can have a really good year. And, um, I, I didn't make too many dumb things, but I still did. And, and so, uh, but yeah, one uh, second race out in Phoenix, uh, one English town, one Indy, one Gainesville. So I, I uh, some of the, for me, those are the, uh, you know, the, it's, it'd be like a major on a golf tour. You know, the, the, the ones that my dad raced at definitely mean more to me um than ones that my dad didn't race at so uh you know being able to get to win some of those events and you know capping it off with a uh, win at indy your rookie year it was uh, uh it, it was it was freaking awesome Tw- 25 years ago now
0: you know th- there's not a lot of people that can claim that they've wanted indy what was that like for you when you when it when you realized holy cow i just won indy
1: it, I, it, um Two-fold. One, I mean, it let you know that, I mean, you, you got to put your name in with some of the greats of the sport. And that, for me, that's, uh, um, you know, kind of a Wayne's World, I'm not worthy kind of moment. Um, the, the, the other part is you, you go back a year before that, in 1994, Snakes last year racing at Indy. I thought we had a car that should have won. And we had uh, um, an input shaft break and w- with a great race car on race day. And so it, I, I felt, um, you know, like I felt raw, like our team was almost raw. You know, everybody's got a story how they lost, you know, at Indy. And, and that was ours. So to be able to come back the f- following year and our team win, uh, it, was, it was awesome. So it, it uh, um, and, and I just was fortunate enough to be driving the car at that time. So it was just uh, very, very cool. I think if you're a drag racer, you know, especially on the NHRA Tour, the two things that are your um, your wish list to do is obviously win Indy and win a championship. And, and I got the two, both of those a few times. So I just uh, feel really blessed uh, to have been part of uh, some really great racing teams.
0: Yeah. And like you said, indie is such a bucket list item because it's it's one of those hard things to explain. That like I've been to a lot of races. I've been to, I was went to Indy as a spectator, and then I got to go as a media person, really digging into it. And it just that event for an NHRA event has a different feel. It has a different taste because of just how you know, amped up everybody is and the prestige behind it, you know, all the way from the guys that win in class and stock all the way to a top fuel racer. It's like when you're there for that event, you're there in that moment. Nothing else matters. You're there to, to win that fantasy round in your mind and hold the Wally.
1: For sure. And and I, I think, you know, people that, come into the sport later on and, you know, there's 24 races on the tour and, you know, why is Indy any different than the other and not having, not maybe not knowing the history of why, but like for me, um, you know, my dad never, I mean, he did the full tour, maybe one or two years his whole life. But that was the one race that we always towed back from California and went to. And everybody was there. And it was the only race on the tour, at least in my lifetime, that was th- – it was a 32-car field. And and there'd be 60-some top fuel cars that would show up for it. And you'd run first round on Sunday. So even just getting to race on Monday was such a big deal. And no other event was like that. So that, that was my – you know, childhood in the '70s, and then you fast forward into the '80s. You go there, and that was the race that had the big butt shootout, and it had the 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 Mister Gasket. It had the the challenge for the pro stock uh, uh, cars, and it just had it had it was it was just a huge event. And that was where the Car Craft did the announced the All Star Drag Racing team, and it was such an event. So like that was all the way through the '80s, and then you know, finally get an opportunity to race in the nineties. It's like that race absolutely meant something to me because it was like years of like going to that event, not winning and other guys winning and, you know, getting, getting a shot, maybe, uh, being in the winter circle once with snake in, in, in his last year, the funny car. So it just, you know, there there's things that, you know, that happen to you in your life that, that, you know, make some moments more special than others and and for me indy was always uh one above all the others
0: the thing that again to, to go off of that like when i was there last last year and getting to see you know the guys win class and like stock and super stock and their crew members absolutely lose their minds in getting pictures of that that pretty much kind of cemented in my mind like my that's what this is all about right there that's how important this event is to people
1: oh gosh yeah yeah for sure you know my dad he never um he, i mean he there was a few times that he went late rounds never went to a final went to semis a few times um and you could even you could even be okay with that because it was you know every you know everybody from around the country is all going there and it's like if you went late rounds you kind of you held your own against the best in the country, not just your little part of the world. You know, if you're in one section and cleaning up, it's like, no, everybody's gonna show up at Indy and whoever wins that one is actually the best. And, and so I, I think just growing up with, with that mindset, it just, it made going to Indianapolis, you know, more special than any other event on the tour.
0: And I think that's one of the cool things about drag racing just in general is no matter, like, when you win, even if it's a small local event, even if you win a round, you feel good. You start winning more rounds, you feel good. And I've been fortunate. You know, I get to to crew on one of my good friends, Radio Tire Cars. We've won big single races, championships, season championships, and national events. And, like, that feeling when you win, even if you're a crew guy, is like – you just you feel like you got the big Superman S on your chest because, you know, you plowed through everybody else that wanted to do that.
1: Yeah, it, it, It's the only time that you sleep good on a Sunday. Yeah, because it's <laughs> you, you, uh, you, you're not you're not stressing about the things that you might have gave away. You should have done this di- different or whatever. It's just like uh, we did it. You know, it just it, it's a, it's definitely a great, uh, great feeling for sure. I, like, along those lines, how about that cat that just pulled in, you know, a million bucks on a $1.1 on $1. $1 million bracket race? How about, like, how about that? You know, like, he probably slept good at night, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> that, it, it was a door car nonetheless. That It was a wheel-standing door car. Like, yeah. how cool is that, that he beat, you know, the dragsters in some straight-up, Killers in the bracket world. I was like, "What'd you do this weekend?" I won a 1.1 million dollar event race, beating the fastest guys in the world. What'd you do, Ted?
1: Yeah, and then the next day, hops in a different car and wins 100 grand. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like,
0: yeah, that's just unbelievable. And then you mix on top of that the guy that drove. He went. He drove his duster from Ohio to Bristol. Drove the car there and won a ten thousand dollar to win foot brake race sleeping in a tent at the track.
1: That's that's awesome. <laughs> like that, that, Yeah.
0: And what's crazy is when we ran the stories, the ten thousand dollar to win story almost did better because people are like, you know, that's like the, the small guy really doing it old school right there. They dude they didn't even have an open trailer, you know?
1: Dang. That's 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 great. I I think that that's a that's a good example of you can have you can have the world in your pit but when you roll up to the starting line everybody's got one of everything like it's it's the same you're on you're on even ground then so it doesn't matter how much inventory and how much you spend on your motor and this and that it's like you know if you got your act together uh on the tree and you know on the track gonna win so that's uh that's awesome to hear
0: that oh yeah it's it's stories that like that i love to see and it's the you know the thing that i i really like about just drag racing in general is just you know those who even don't win are just they like to be at the track it's what they want to do it doesn't care even if you're sweating profusely having a bad day at the end of the day it's like you know what i still got to go race you know
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it's a rich man's golf game
0: yeah. Yeah. That's the people I giggle when I hear friends complain about hobbies that they claim are expensive. I'm like, listen, <laughs> I, I, I have seen guys destroy motors that cost as much as my house. And they're just more upset about the fact they have to put their backup in. I'm like, that's when, you know, you have cash on
1: hand. There you go. Yeah. Wow. It, yeah.
0: yeah. It, it. It's, you know, and, kind of going off of that you know i, I like to especially with the nitro racers I, I like to take the temperature you know what else do you do you follow you know obviously you watch some of the stuff with bracket racing do you follow all forms of drag racing hello well right
1: drag week getting uh canceled so that that uh that that kind of bummed me out i was kind of geared up to uh to to run drag week this year actually um was set up that that weekend of tech it started you know it was, it was to start at martin michigan um uh you know you go through tech on a sunday and then you start for the week and and that saturday at martin is the uh us 131 but there's the funny car nationals i'm gonna run our our two-seat car um, there so I was like I was really excited about being able to run our two-seat car on Saturday and then hop in my Chevy too and then go do uh, a week of racing in it, you know with with uh, With all the guys on drag week. So seeing that uh, get canceled really uh, that that bummed me out I mean there, there's less and less events that are gonna happen this year. So anyone's that you're you're a part of feel fortunate because they're they're uh, they're falling by the wayside as we speak
0: hey if you got time uh take the nova out to the nmca finals when they hit indy they got a true street class you can jump in there and flail on it
1: i actually think i'm i'm scheduled to run the two-seater at super chevy in memphis that weekend ah. Other, otherwise i'd be uh i'd be all for it but uh I I don't run that two seater very often. So when I get the opportunity to do it, I'm uh, I'm all in. We'll,
0: we'll get we'll talk. I definitely want to hit up on the two seater at, at some point. But there before we, we you went into about the drag week, you cut out a little bit. You know, besides drag week, is there anything else you follow to to kind of tie that up there?
1: Um, no. I I think I'm just I'm, just a, I'm a car guy. I mean, I pay attention to you know. Not not a diehard, but but uh, you know what goes on in NASCAR. Watch watch those guys run. Uh, F- Formula One when it's not on at you know 3:30 in the morning, I will definitely watch it. Um, the IndyCar, uh, you know, there's a the few guys that that race in IndyCar that that uh, you know when I was on the tour, I'd be um, I'd work out with. So um, I, I try to pay attention to um, every you know everything that makes noise. I mean. There's not a lot of things that don't make noise that I'm not interested in. It's, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a car guy.
0: Now, kind of going off of that, you know, with, with all the different tribes, I call them in drag racing these days, you know, what's something else if you were toss the key, someone was gonna toss you a set of keys to a, a drag car besides a nitro vehicle, would you jump in a pro mod, pro stock, a radial tire car, a no prep car? I mean, you know, what, what would you want to drive?
1: I I'd want it. I'd want to do the street outlaw no prep events. I I, uh, I dig the I dig the cars. I dig the format. Uh, I dig that they you know they race for fifty thousand bucks. I mean that's what that's what you win at the NHRA you know nitro me. So um, I, uh, I, I really uh, I, I like that setup. And if I could. Reboot, or maybe at some point retire, uh, you know, pack up my family, move to the 405, you know, so that that way they'd accept my entry and uh, go race. Go race door cars.
0: Now, that's an interesting answer that I did not expect. But at the same time, (laughs) you know, like, legit, that's awesome because, like, the the level – I'm fortunate with what I get to do because I get to go to, you know, in, in the span of a year last year, I got to go to the U.S. Nationals' biggest NHRA race. I got to go to the biggest Outlaw Radial Tire race at Lights Out 11. I got to go to the biggest no-prep race at Outlaw Armageddon. And then I got to go to the biggest crazy hodgepodge race at the Import vs. Domestic World Cup, which is just a crazy awesome event. But no-prep racing to me when I first saw I'm like, this is the dumbest thing on earth. And then I went to a couple events, and I'm like, now I get it. The level of it's like old school street racing, and you got to be able to drive to keep one of those things rubber side down because you know they're they're pretty gnarly.
1: For for sure, I mean, you, you definitely, and and I, I guess that lets you know where modern technology has come, where they're not actually under the hood. That you know they've got a laptop sitting on the roof of their car, and they're they're you know they're dialing in the set and, and uh, um, no I, I enjoy watching it I love that um, you get to see those personalities they, they you know you get what you were talking about that there, there's not that heavy corporate backing so the guys pretty much or girls they say what they want they don't like something they're going to call somebody on it and, uh, and and they're still out there racing for money and you know they're selling t-shirts out of the back of their truck and it's you know kind of like you know, funny car match racing was in the 1970s.
0: Oh, yeah. And the fans absolutely get into not just their favorite TV driver, just there's a whole cult of like non-TV drivers that are out there that are badass. And like, just the whole vibe is awesome. And you know, it is like old school match racing. And you know, what they are definitely not afraid to say anything that's on their mind, occasionally get into fist fights. And you know it's as real as it gets, and you know yeah, you could win fifty grand in the official pot, but that doesn't include the side bets these guys got going on as well because they're grudge racing it out for cash.
1: The, the, yeah, and and so for me, um, kind of you know kind of the ten thousand foot you know view of it, it's uh, um, gosh they you know they they run their races and then they show it on TV and it goes up against. Monday Night Football, and they, they have better ratings than Monday Night Football. So, obviously, people like watching it. That's something that I think people can really relate to those cars. And maybe because they're not, you know, something so exotic that there's no way I know, you know. For some people, it'd be hard to uh, visualize actually racing Formula One. Or maybe it's top fuel. They have a top – but, you know, a door car on one – you know, one of those events and the guys, you know, they all got shops and they got regular jobs and, you know, they put their car together and they go out there and run it. It's, I think people can relate to that, you know, and when something doesn't go the way they want, you know, they get pissed off and, and they voice their opinion. And I think people like it. I think it's awesome.
0: Oh, yeah. it's it, Again, it, it cracks me up when I see people say, oh, it's not real. It's fake. <laughs> I'm like, trust me. Like some of the drama and like what I call the TV stuff around it might be, you know, you can easily manipulate that with some simple editing to make it seem like it's more dramatic or pump people up into stuff. But that racing is far from fake because if you talk to any of those guys, that's like the one thing that you can that gets under their skin is when you question the races themselves because they're all legit racers at heart. And that's like the one thing that they are not willing to compromise on or stack the deck against like no if i go out there i'm racing someone i'm beating them that's how it's going to be i'm not taking anything that's handed to me
1: yeah it's uh no there's nothing nobody wants to get put on the trailer uh or be embarrassed or any of that stuff i mean they're they're racing and you can't um some of that stuff you can you you can't say. Be, I guess if maybe uh, you know along the lines of wrestling, Mike. If you if you called out a wrestler and said it isn't real, I'm sure that same guy could put you in the hospital. So it's like, <laughs> step up if you don't think it's real.
0: Legit, you don't realize how big most professional wrestlers are until you see them <laughs> next to normal humans. <laughs> right. Like those referees are like six one or taller. Like. I've seen some of those wrestlers at, like, the Arnold here in Columbus. I'm like, oh, look, it's a side-by-side refrigerator in a suit jacket. Like, unreal.
1: Yeah. So, you know, people that say it's not real, I'm, uh, I, I don't believe. I, I believe it's 100% legit.
0: And, you know, kind of, again, going one-off of 100% legit. You know, we, we did a story on your two-seater dragster deal. Todd Sylvie wrote that. Yeah. And I want to know, like – how did you come up with the idea, hey, let's build a two-seater dragster? Like, you know, (laughs) that's like, was there whiskey involved? Because
1: that's something I'd say after drinking a few whiskeys. I'm like, dude, let's build a two-seater dragster. What can I possibly do in my life to get myself banned from the sport? Hey, let's do a two-seat top dual car. That'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh yeah no sometimes i I question myself on it but um it it all it it came it it really i mean to to give you the really uh condensed version i was on my way to pomona at the beginning of 2016. i had just lost my last ride i guess uh it got bought out of the seat and and it's like you know like what am i gonna do like am i gonna am i gonna get Bought out like every, you know, like how long am I going to do this for? And so then the idea, you know, came to me. What about a two seat top fuel car? It's like, well, you got two seat Indy cars, you got two seat Formula One cars, NASCAR obviously. They even got MotoGP has a two seat motorcycle. You can you can get on the back of the MotoGP bike and go 180 miles an hour. So it's and and like the two seat cars that we have in drag racing um they're they're not for me they're not you could you could buy a dodge hellcat off the showroom floor and go faster than the two-seat drag racing cars that that are in our sport so it's like there's nothing representative it's like if we've got the quickest and fastest sport we ought to have the quickest and fastest two-seater so that's that's where the idea came from with me and then from that point is you know can't can we get it insured, you know, can, can the car actually be built safely? And, and so like going through that process with the chassis builder and, you know, having hard data proving that not only can the car be built safely, it, it actually, I've got data proving that it's safer than a traditional top fuel car. So, um, you know, and then, you know, I, again, uh, early, early on there, there was, you know, I'm not going to dump anybody, uh, you know, under the bus now, but before the car was built, I talked to all the right people and they told me what to do with the car. Um, You know, they voiced their concerns and I made sure that I built it all within those parameters. So built the car, tested the car, debuted the car, and then they changed their mind on the car. So, um, but I'm, but the genie's out of the bottle. So I'm gonna keep going. I can't do it everywhere. I can do it somewhere. And and so that's what I'm doing. but the car does everything that I had ever envisioned it to do. And it's, you know, running an eighth mile in a real top fuel car and get people up to speed. To, you know, t- we go, you know, 250, 260 mile an hour in about three seconds, um, which is enough, I think, for somebody that hasn't done it before. And it's, 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 it's a bucket list item. Um, but uh, we just ran the car a couple weeks ago in South Carolina. I actually set the track record um at at the motor went quicker than anybody else the only the only person that's gone quicker than quick as me at that track is the person that was in the back seat so yeah i was gonna say
0: how's that how's that record work is it like 1a 1b
1: (laughs) right yeah i was i was joking with our our rider and he says well you you got there before me yeah
0: (laughs) yeah that's like it's like being twins being born
1: yeah so it's uh and then we're gearing up. We're, we've got, a. um, uh, we're booked in to uh, go to dragway 42 in a couple of weeks. Um, they're actually raffling off a ride, uh, give somebody, you know, they're selling a hundred tickets at a hundred bucks a piece. And, uh, the winner's going to go for a ride in our top fuel car, um, during their rock and race event, uh, at the end of the month. So, um, cars, cars, for me, it's a lot of fun being able to share, um, you know what? What a top! What the acceleration of the top! If you've ever been in a top fuel car and felt what that acceleration is like, it's like you want to share it with the world. And I can't share it with everybody, but um, I can share it with some. And uh, and that's kind of basically what we're what we're doing with it. So we'll run it a uh, you know a dozen or so times a year. And and uh, this year's been challenging, no different than anybody else uh, with with uh, with the COVID. Um, but but we're still going to events with it, and still uh, you know get, getting people uh, time slips and putting smiles on their faces.
0: If I gave you like a hundred bucks, would you let me sit in the jump seat when you just did a warm up?
1: Um, that, that's you need a, You need to buy a raffle ticket from Jaguar <laughs> Forty Two, and you can get the warm up and the run if you win.
0: Definitely, yeah. That's a, it, It's funny. We're
1: probably not going to get any closer to you. Than dragway 42
0: yeah yeah it's i, I was gonna ask if you would ever been there because i uh i've been up there quite a few times it's close to where my parents live and kyle the, one of the the son of the owner of the family hit me up and he's like you know you guys want to do a story Like, this? i'm like i'm gonna do you one better i'm talking to larry on the podcast today and i'm like we're gonna cover that
1: yeah no it's a bit you know that track just got it got rebuilt a couple of years ago beautiful facility so uh it's not far from uh, uh norwalk and and so i'm really uh I'm really excited about uh, going there to the track and, and checking that out. I'm part of that event. I mean, it's a, it's a nostalgia event that, that goes for three days and they got, you know, bands, you know, bands on Friday and Saturday. And it's just going to be a big, you know, kind of the old school, you know, drag festival kind of event. So oh, yeah. um, lo- lo- definitely looking forward to being a part of it.
0: They pack the house for that event. And like you said, it's just, it's a really cool, like overall event to check out and, like I said, that the for what you guys do with that uh for, for that ride along deal, like I could only imagine the sensory of just like I said, just like it's jokingly said about the warm up, because I got to do a video for work. I got to sit in Craig Sullivan's pro mod, screw blown pro mod to do a startup video to get my reaction out of it. And sitting in a screw blown pro mod during a warm up was like it just it shakes your whole body. It's like a, an amazing experience. I couldn't imagine cranking that to eleven in a top fuel car. Like I couldn't.
1: I, I, it's it's got to be amazing. There's some things that, like, I mean, the older you get, the, the more things you forget. But that you know, one thing that stands out to me, uh, still to this day, is the first time that I sat in a top fuel car when it uh, during a warm up. And just idling how much power those cars make. I mean, they they make more idling than a NASCAR or an Indy car does at, at full at throttle. That's how much power a top fuel motor makes. So, um, yeah, wide open throttle, it's over 10,000 horsepower. So, uh, you know, to, to, to be able to run somebody down the track to get, you know, get that get that feeling, uh, the acceleration, um, it, it will... Uh, um, you'll you'll definitely dig it it's definitely a golden ticket for sure
0: oh yeah and you know I've been some of the cool shots I've actually liked to shoot at national events are when crews are warming the car up just because of like everything that's going on and like that whole like interesting process but even just standing there during the warm-up like it's such a unique experience it's standing around any other race car because of just the sheer like like you said, the, the feeling you get from all the forces in play, I mean, you could just tell how angry and powerful that engine is just standing a few feet from it.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you take that same engine that makes 10,000 horsepower and you take, the, you take the nitromethane fuel out of it, you put gasoline fuel in it, um, it, it would struggle to make 2,000 horsepower. So it, you put in nitromethane, um, the fuel itself, is it's, it's a power adder all on its own. Um, and it, uh, it definitely wakes things up and, and, uh, yeah, 10,000 horsepower.
0: And again, it's just like the, the, the whole experience of standing track and shooting pictures of those cars is like, you could sell tickets for that because it's, you think you're ready off oh, sat in the stands at events. I've, you know, hung out when they did a warmup you're not ready when you're standing a foot and a half two feet away one of those things goes screaming by because it's like your whole body shakes you it's unreal
1: oh i I, and 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 the sound uh, just this weekend i i had to I, i ran to ups for a friend to pick up a package and they were running the fuel cars while i'm at ups i am literally 12 miles away and I, I can still hear the cars running. Yeah, from 12 miles away. So, so yeah, it just—I uh, mean, it just again lets you know how much uh, how much power is attached to one of them race cars.
0: You know, kind of digging into the memory bank. This will be the last question. I want to get your take on this. We all, as racers, have those moments where things get a little gnarly, and you're like, "Oh, that was that was didn't go as planned." You know. I had a
1: lot of those.
0: I was going to say outside of the time that you tried to become a pilot, you know, <laughs> we'll take that one out of the mix. What's another one where something kind of went way haywire and you're like, "Oh, this is definitely not going to go according to plan." What's what's the feeling inside the car like that?
1: It's for I mean, the gist of it if if you're away and I've gotten knocked out in uh, uh, one of them, but but for the most part, the car's going so fast. And, uh, and you don't at that point, you really don't have any control left. Um, You you just, it it takes forever to stop. Like, I mean, to, to, to get one of those things when you're going 300 mile an hour and, you know, it blows a tire, chassis breaks in half or whatever the case is. It just takes forever for that thing to stop. It's, uh, but I, People say, I don't know how you can get back in a car uh, and after. It, It really, you know, all the, you know, what the teams and the chassis manufacturers and SFI and sanctioning bodies you know, put, put in for rules and, 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 again, just, uh, that you can, you know, where I can literally fly through the air and, and land and then, you know, go race two weeks later. It just, uh, um, I've, I've never missed a race because of a, uh, you know, and, uh, a crash. So it just, uh, again, really talks on how safe they are. And it's, it's kind of funny. And it's like, yeah, okay. So now you're doing a two seater experience and, and like, you're like, you've crashed. And I'm like, yeah. But I'm still here, like it. You know, have you ever been in a, a crash on the road yourself? Oh yeah. Okay, but you got back in the car again, right?
0: Oh, Yeah, totally.
1: Well, it's. I mean, it's the same thing, just a lot faster.
0: <laughs> you, you, you did the whole. You, remember correctly, you did the whole uh, the the 360 down in Australia, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to it's hard to drift uh, a top fuel dragster without touching a wall, but I, I was, I, I pulled it off.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was, gonna, I was like, that's one of the more moments we saw that happen. I was like, all right, that's probably one of those things you're never going to see happen again at that level of the car, not getting wadded up.
1: Now it, it's, and, and we came back later that, that, uh, day and, uh, um, set the national record. So like it, it uh, um, again, it, it just, uh, cars are built so safe. And, and I just, uh, and I think growing up in the sport, I mean, I don't know that I've ever been spooked about anything that's gone on with one of them vehicles. It's just, uh, when you get strapped in that car, it really gives you the feeling that you could run over a landmine and this, this car is going to take care of you. And, and, you know, when I'm, you know, you're putting somebody in the car in the back seat and I'm, you know, you're walking them Through all this, and it's like I'm relaying to them because they don't have all of that data and experience that I do, and and so you're just explaining to them about you know all the safety equipment, the Hans device, and you know the arm restraints and everything that goes into you know even I mean the shoelaces are fireproof. I mean it just everything that goes into what you do and why it's there and how it got there. I mean if the cars were 100% safe, nobody'd have helmets. But, but, you know, like things happen. So that's why we, you know, that's why we've got all that equipment for us. So it's it just uh, um, j- just trying to uh, get that point across uh, to to our riders and passengers and stuff that, um, you know, you, you can go out there and, you know, sometimes bad things happen, but, but uh, you know, we're prepared for them as well.
0: Well, our time here is coming to a close on the podcast, and I like to give my guests their opportunity to do their – uh the classic John Force and thank all their sponsors and tell people where to find them at. So, you know, I'll turn the floor over to you and let, you know, you can tell people where to find you at plug, whatever you need to plug.
1: No, I just, uh, I, I don't have this huge social media team. Uh, it's kind of a one man band thing. So, um, you know, I can be found on uh, you know, Facebook, uh, Larry, Larry Dixon racing, or Instagram, Twitter at Dixon top fuel. We've got our own website, You know, either LarryDixon.com or even uh, uh, Championship Adventures for the two-seat car. And um, you know, if people are interested in riding or seeing where we're going to run at, just uh, reach out. Um, I'm going to say 99 out of 100 times it's going to be me answering you. So, and and I'm pretty uh, pretty good about uh, taking uh, taking care of uh, that side of things. So, um, really appreciate you uh, letting me talk about you know, our sport and and some of the things that we've done. So uh, th- thank you very much for your time as oh, well.
0: No, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. It's always great, like I said, to to get to talk to to the racers that are, you know, the the legends of the sport. You know, it's like like I told you on the pre-call, it's like my you know, I get to geek out and, you know, the people I used to stand in line to get their autograph. Now I get to ask them questions, you know, it doesn't get much better than that.
1: No, it's great what you do because uh, you know. But most of the time, you know, you don't. When fans come to the racetrack, you know, you might only get five or ten seconds, so you don't really know the person or their personality. And you certainly aren't going to get this much time on one of the TV shows either. So it just it really allows people to know what kind of person you are, and, and so you know, the more people you put on, you know, the more the more people know um the racing crowd so i think it's a great thing what you're doing
0: awesomely i appreciate it well thanks for coming on the show and uh we'll see you soon
1: yeah we'll see you down the road hopefully hopefully you get that you win that ticket at dragway 42
0: i have a hundred dollars sitting on my desk that i will throw towards it
1: love it man take care
0: thank you too well that wraps up the show for this week thanks for later for stopping by and as always may your reaction times be crisp and your wind lights bright until next week folks